Okay, that was very loud. All right. Should we? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, welcome back to another episode of uh, From the Soul, Out of the Ass. Ass. Um, and uh, what episode number is this? 14? 14. Okay. I'm Matthew Yados. I'm Matthew Brown. And today we have a, a very special guest. Our first. Our first guest. Hopefully we get more in the future. Uh, but I'll let him introduce himself. I'm Adam Julians, and I know Matthew through our fellow membership of the Free Speech Union. Yes, we do. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, you and I have been speaking uh, outside of... Uh, I host some Free Speech Social events, which Adam has been attending. Yeah. Um, we've had a couple of conversations about the experience that you've had at Glasgow University. Um, is it Glasgow? Uh, I'd rather not mention which university. Okay. It was not, not Glasgow University. Not Glasgow University. Okay. A university that you A attended. university that's uh, in a part of Scotland. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd like to start just by you introducing yourself a little bit, mm. telling yeah. us about who you are, um, sort of how you've wound up where you are in life. What's my name and where do I come from? Exactly. Like uh, Blind Date. <laughs> yes. So, um, okay. So, gosh, how far do we want to go back? Um, start where were you born? Where was I born? I was born in Derby mm. and moved to Scotland when I was four or five when my father changed jobs um, from working for Rolls Royce in Derby to East Kilbride. I grew up in Straven, a small town in Lanarkshire. Um, I left Straven to join the Air Force when I was 17 as an engineer. Left the Air Force because they wouldn't let me fly. And I went away and learned to fly anyway. And I came back and studied a degree in computer and electronic systems. Mm. Then I was a software consultant for a number of years. Then I had an epiphany. And then um, I ended up leaving that job and studying theology. Nice. And then going on to do a master's in biblical interpretation in which I did a dissertation on the humour in Jesus and the Gospels because I thought, why not? Mm. The humour in Jesus and the Gospels. Humour in Jesus and the Gospels. I'd love yeah. to read that. Uh, why wouldn't they let you fly at the RAF? I'm curious. You said you went off from... Because I got into an altercation with someone of senior rank, which he started and I finished. And the Air Force took a little bit of a dim oh, view of that. Fair enough, fair enough. They had their reasons. <laughs> <laughs> they had the reasons that they wanted to make, fair yes. Fair <laughs> So, um, so, oh, where were we? Oh, yeah. Um, and then I was a, a caseworker for a military charity for a while with a mission statement to support clients from suffering and distress into independence and dignity. Mm. And then I started taking up radio presentation as a hobby. And then that developed into what is now a regular breakfast show that I do at the weekend for a local community radio station. And I was looking at developing that further now. Uh, I did an HNC and radio, and then went on to do what I've graduated with now, which is a diploma in higher education in TV and radio broadcast and production, hmm. which has got me to where I'm at. And I'm now thinking of doing a degree in TV. So you have a lot of degrees under your belt. Yeah, I'm trying to decide what to do when I grow up. 
<laughs> so what, can you talk it's a hard decision. Yeah, can you talk it a little is. bit? Yeah, what's being an adult like? I've never quite figured that one out. I'm still working out myself. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the uh, your epiphany that you said that made you switch from the epiphany. So, technical um, side to the... So, we were talking a little bit before doing this about um, what interests we had. and It was interesting to hear your story behind what got you into politics and philosophy. Philosophy. Um, philosophy. I can't say that word now. Philosophy. There we go. That time's job. Had to work on it. Um, but for me, it was always I was always into music. Uh, I I looked up to um, Douglas Bader, who was a, a World War Two Spitfire pilot. My heroes were rock musicians. Um, I used to play in an orchestra with a trombone, which happens to be the loudest instrument in the orchestra, which a friend very kindly said that about suits you, Adam. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so um, I ended up joining the Air Force as an engineer. I think a lot of that was culturally conditioned because my mother had brothers in the Air Force, my father was an engineer, hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I wanted to fly and... And it got the, getting my private pilot's license, and then I had a degree, so I was flying, I was competing in rowing, which I'd taken up at university, and I had my software engineer job. So I think a lot of people would look at that and say, he looks like he's pretty sorted. Mm. What I tended to find was that um, uh, I was walking through Glasgow Green, and it was like this sense that I wasn't satisfied as soon as I achieve something I get the satisfaction for about three weeks and then something replaces it mm. so why am I not satisfied why am I unhappy and um, this word came into my head change I thought well, what's all this about <laughs> Um, and I'd had a similar kind of experience previously. Mm. Um, I took up motorcycling in my 30s. I'm 58 now. And after passing my test, I was going to go on a motorcycle run with a motorcycle club. And this voice came into my head and told me not to go on the motorcycle run. Mm. And I ignored it. And I had a motorcycle accident. Mm. And the weirdest thing happened... As soon as I was, realized I was going to crash, I relaxed. My whole body relaxed. You'd think it tense up. I ended up in a field. The motorcycle hit a fence. It got taken off to the right-hand side. And I did a somersault and landed on the softest part of my body, my backside. So all I had was a bruise. Excellent. Mm. And I spoke with other fellow mo motorcyclists. I said, you're going to think this is really, really weird. You might think I'm mental. But I heard a voice telling me not to go on this motorcycle run. And they went, no, 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 this is quite common. Um, so do you think it was the the voice that led to the fall? Or maybe the, there was like an uneasiness you had while you were... The voice it? was warning me not to go into the motorcycle run. Right, right. Mm. And me ignoring it led to the accident. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was the same voice and the same kind of a conviction. Mm. Mm. And I thought, well, I don't understand this, but okay, I'm going to go with it. And then... then I grew up opposite a church, and then I, I went to a sermon. Um, 
because the the minister was close friends with my family. So I thought, well, of all the people I could confide in potentially Mm -hmm. talk about things, that should be the sort of person to do that without judgment and all that kind of thing. Um, And when I listened to his sermon, it felt so powerful. I thought, oh gosh, this really resonates with me. I can't ignore it. Mm. Um, I'm not a churchgoer. I used to go to church, but then um, I got, I think, turned off it because of what I think the church represents, which isn't really the authentic core thing. Mm. I think so much of church now, to me, is about... And we talked about this before, Matthew, I think, um, this doctrine of original sin. So because Adam sinned, you are identified as a sinner, mm. right? And your only hope is your <clears throat> repentance. And I found that message to be quite condemning, and I don't see any sub- substance to... Um, to like the power I had from this voice, right? Mm-hmm. But it comes from Augustine, who's a church father, and it's just been passed down. And and we were talking before about it's like we might be in a kind of a religious conviction that seems to be in society where diversity, inclusion, and equality. And if you fall into the category of victim, mm. the power works for you against perceived oppression but if you fall into the category of oppressor there is no redemption at least with the doctrine of original Mm. sin there's redemption Mm. with with this ideology there's no redemption Mm. you are the the um bourgeoisie in the racist yeah you're the bourgeoisie that needs to be up against the wall Mm. right and there doesn't seem to be any. If you were, if you wanted to challenge that, you, in my experience, and I think in a lot of people's experience, you can find yourself in a very, very difficult situation. So you have to, mm-hmm. you have to um, negotiate your way around this. I think. Yeah. And part of that is to give credit to this assumption in some way that you're an oppressor mm. even though you've done nothing wrong right yeah and that goes against what i would kind of incline myself towards which is more in line of um what martin luther king said at the height of um, the civil rights movement of his i have a dream speech right i have a dream that people not be judged by the color of the skin but the content of the character so it's the same thing happening again, but not. But mm. well, I think I think an interesting distinction is with the uh, with the idea of original sin. It's on it's placed on the individual, right? So you're a sinning individual, and you can be redeemed yeah. by your repentance. Yeah. But this, but not in this lifetime. So that's a, I think that's an arguable point. But yeah, yeah. But like, well, that's the Protestant kind of. Yeah, yeah. But with the, with the ideology you were speaking of. Uh, because it's a collective ideology and mm. its its definition of things is structural, mm-hmm. right? So it's um, the idea of you sinning is you sinning within this structure, which I think is where the idea of it not being redeemable comes from because it's... Well, it's not redeemable because um, 
you have inherited privilege and that's in your subconscious yeah, yeah. and there's nothing you can do about that so you need to be aware of this privilege you have so that you therefore don't oppress and with the doctrine of original sin it's inclusive towards everyone mm. with this uh, this um, ideology it's to some groups or not to others or to some groups to a greater degree and not to others whereas my approach would be to say we're all part victim and we're all part oppressor. We all have advantages and disadvantages in life. And the degree to which we either oppress or are a victim are the degrees to which we're exposed to things, but mm. also whether we nurture that oppressive side to us or not. Right. It's kind of the uh, sort of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's approach. The line of good and evil runs to the heart of every man. But at times in his life, he's closer to a sinner, closer to a closer to a saint. Um, yes. Okay. Well, that's, that's really interesting because I I think that segues quite nicely um, into. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the kind of build up to your experience at the unnamed university that you attended, <laughs> uh, and then sort of lead us through what happened. Um, well, what was quite interesting is that I think I've got a little bit of confidence from my previous experience in education, where I was coming across this kind of thing, and I think. Um, I mean, not that it makes any difference, but it was a gay person that was accusing me of bullying previously. And in, in this institution, um, it was treated as false accusation. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd, I'd left the institution with a qualification and, and my um, contract was regarded as impeccable. It's just when you were doing your theology... <laughs> No, this is when I was studying radio at Glasgow City oh, College. So um, I went on to this institution. I thought, okay, well, there's there could be something similar happen, let's say. I mean, I'm an older person. There's a generational gap. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's misunderstandings. Um, I might have this kind of thing to deal with. So let's, okay, try to relate as best as I can to, obviously, if someone feels bullied, that's very unpleasant. Nobody would want... No decent person would want anyone to feel that way, I think. So I would want to empathise with someone that feels that way, but also I wouldn't want to do myself a disjustice with um, enabling false accusations. Sure. So um, I was in a team. Um, I came up with an idea for a project, and it was a short film doc documentary. Um, and the other team members decided that as I'd come up with the idea, I should be the leader in the team. Okay, so that I was the director, producer, and the other team members, one was the, going to be the editor and one was going to be the cameraman slash cinematographer. Sure. Um, and um, the, the, the project hit a setback. And one thing that this guy said was, oh, what we've got now is uh, likely to end up being uh, marked down as a half-hour project. Hmm. Now, at this time, he hadn't put much work in because he was the editor, right? So most of the work would be at the end. But I put in a ton of work in and I, I felt, oh, that was a bit... This was done in social media. So I just suggested, look, if we've got, we've got any um, criticisms to make, can we make it 
put it forward in a respectful way and constructive way and and if we do make a criticism can we can we uh can we suggest a solution let's say um it was a hiccup and uh we got back on track but at that point in time uh, the next time we met he said oh i've been a bit of a dick blah 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 i've not been sleeping right with burning that okay fair enough but then I made a joke <laughs> that he didn't like. <laughs> what was the joke? <laughs> okay, it is dodgy. That's it is a bit dodgy. So, uh, but I will give the context to the joke. Sure. And I don't think I would say the joke in the context of university again, having had this experience. I might say it in a comedy club if I was doing stand-up, mm. which I have done. Mm. Um, but uh, I think you need to consider your audience, and perhaps I didn't quite consider my audience this time. But what I said was, we, what it was, was Halloween. Everyone was in a great mood, looking forward to going out at night. He came in and said, oh, I hate Halloween. Mm. You know, he, I don't think he's that brilliant socially. It could be a bit socially awkward. Um, and I could feel the whole room, the mood of the whole room, drop. And I turned and said, what, did you get raped by a vampire at some point? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, so I see by your reactions, there's laughter, but there's also a head in the hands. So that's the sort of thing that would split an audience, right? Yeah, in sure, a comedy sure, club. sure. Right. But it might not be the sort of thing you would want to say in a university environment. No, 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 no. But it was just this little comedy input in my head, right? <laughs> And so he took offence of that. And they actually, the, the, I was in a camera workshop and the member of staff there had the same reaction as yours. He found it hilarious. Um, but <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, I, you know, the thing with comedy is if you, unless you risk offending, then it's, you, you're just going to be bland. You're not going to be funny. Right, right. Well, it's right? Just, you know, so, it's jokes that, that they're, at their, they're at their funniest when they're, Pushing the boundaries yeah. of what, when you're on, was, the, on the edge of what's acceptable, right? And so it, it's and, a, there's and, always a risk with, with jokes, you know? It's yeah, like, it's, and, and it's, now yeah. looking back on it with this, this so-called rape culture, even using oh. the word rape is considered rape now, so sometimes. So it's it's very, very difficult. Um, but anyway, I learned a bit from that. I don't think I would do that again in that context. I might do it amongst my mates. Use a different monster next time. Use a different monster. <laughs> yeah. So, so okay. So in his words, that was, I gave no consideration to what someone might have been through before coming to uh, university. It was offensive and it made me feel very uncomfortable for the rest of the day. Yeah, but no one's been raped by a vampire, though. Yeah. No, but if I can see if he was... You know, let's say raped by somebody in the past, he might take that personally. Yeah, fair. Now, there's no way you could have known that. But you know, okay, okay. Given so, and this this is it. Offense and humor is subjective, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no black or white on this. Sure. Um, but he also hadn't been doing the work that he'd been assigned and took responsibility for. So I was encouraging him to do that. And uh, and so this was in social media, but and he didn't say it to my face. Uh, mm -hmm. But he said, uh, uh, I can't remember what the lead up was to it, but he said, "It's clear I've been repeatedly belittled, and I think you've overstepped your role as a leader." 
So I had my say. He considered himself to be the voice of the class. You see? <laughs> um, and I suggested he considered he uh, the way that he came across. I also said I'm sorry, I was sorry to hear that uh, that's how he felt. He felt it mm. wasn't my intention. Um, and also, you know, if that's if he's satisfied with what I've said there, then great, we can work on it. But if not, uh, escalate it to a member of staff to get it resolved because this needs to be resolved, right? Sure. Um, and that that went all the way up to the program leader and the year tutor, and I was invited in for a conversation. And the way it was put was to hear my side of the story to conclude the issue. I got there and uh, I didn't feel listened to. Um, And I was told the purpose of a meeting was to talk about the comment. Okay. So... As in it had already been decided? It seems as though it had already been decided that I was guilty of making an offensive joke. Okay. Is what I'm taking that to mean. Okay. And that there wasn't any room for negotiation as to the subjectivity of humour and offence. So uh, in that meeting... The pressure on me eased when I said I was sorry to hear that he felt that way. It wasn't my intention. I will change my approach from now on. But I felt as though he was being defamatory. And that wasn't addressed. So I then went to the support report service. reporting harassment mm-hmm. and they were great actually um, she said she listened she was empowering to me she said well this is a report service we don't actually do anything but if it was to happen again I'd recommend you get advocacy and independent uh, representation um, and here's the person to go to the student union representative what kind of things specifically happened that made you feel like you were being harassed. The the def the defamation, the mm. the, the false accusation. Mm. And I wasn't ready for that because previously well I perceived to be the false accusation uh, because previously the way it had been dealt with had been that it had been false accusation and my conduct had been impeccable. So that was the I suppose the expectation I had of the meeting, it didn't turn out that way. Mm. I see. So, so let me get this straight. So, so you made the joke uh, that was then sort of dealt with through staff, mm. um, and you recognised that okay, maybe not like fine joke. Jokes are sometimes offensive. Maybe not the best setting for it. Yeah, you know. And then, yeah. uh, then there was there wasn't that kind of dialogue. It right. Was, it was. It was my, I felt my feet were held to the fire about, it. I felt I was in the dock right, oh, against mm. a prosecutor, right? So it was like, whoa, I'm not expecting this. <laughs> I totally, and especially because I've been told the purpose of the meeting was to hear my side of the story. I didn't feel listened to. Okay, so you were kind of, uh, 
led into the room on sort of false uh, false grounds. Like yeah, that. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think there was a trap set for me. And I, so I'm, I'm just trying to uh, sort of place a finger on what the the harassment was that you felt you experienced. Was it the the people as in the well, feet held, your feet held to the fire? I, or I felt that oh, I, I needed the accusations to, afterwards. Yeah, I I felt I needed to speak to somebody for support. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there, those were the list of classes. There was bullying, harassment, there was blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I just th- felt that, okay, harassment seems to fit the closest description for me to have a purpose to speak to this person. That okay. was the only reason. Um, specifically that he had, uh, well, the, the, the joke was part of it, but also mm-hmm. the a- accusation of repeatedly belittling him. So that... To my mind, right, sounds okay, like an accusation of bullying. Right. Mm-hmm. If it's just a joke, right. no problem. But an accusation of what appears to be bullying, which is what I. Mm-hmm. So what did he? Had. What did he take to be the repeated belittling? As in, like, I've no idea. Okay. Okay. I've no idea. Mm-hmm. So this was the first confrontation with this person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it. it it wasn't because of the previous thing that he'd said about the project being oh, half half job. Yeah. And he'd admitted to in his words being a bit of a dick. Okay, right. And my That's other and my my other uh teammate had said at the time that if he'd have been spoken to like that, he'd have punched his lights out. Okay. Right. Okay, so it's not just me. Right. Um so that that set the kind of foundation to mm-hmm. what happened later on mm-hmm. and what happened later on um, was I was part of a class where we were looking at uh, this is all in the same university all in the same university yeah. what's the uh, t- distance and time between event A and event B which one's event A and which one's event B uh, joke well which one happened first the joke yeah. and and the accusation of repeatedly belittling kind of happened in the same WhatsApp. Okay, then, okay, fair enough. Um, so now that was that was kind of December. Now we're getting into what January, February, March time, something like. That. And this is 2021? 2021, 2022, Yeah. And in this drama class, there was a big focus. And I think it was good on diversity in British drama because, and if we go back to the 1960s, predominantly white male received pronunciation, anyone that's working class has got a minor role or they are the object of humour. So, and there was a a turning point in terms of a documentary called Cathy Come Home, which was focused on working class. Um, And looking pretty much in that continuing throughout. So there was this uh, BBC drama called Years and Years and in the drama there were three couples, one gay couple, one mixed race couple, one couple where one was near a wheelchair and one was able-bodied, was a flat earther and someone who was trans but not transgender, trans species and she believed that to live authentically would mean to go to Switzerland, commit suicide and connect to the internet to live forever in information. Okay. Kind of set in the future. Um, And it also depicted Donald Trump still being president and putting a, a, sending a nuclear bomb to an 
uh, a man-made island off to the east of Vietnam. Okay. <laughs> Quite an intense program, but it sounds yeah. So, so I said that. Um, Sorry, was this was this program? What was the genre? Was it like? Was it like supposed like a comedy, like a, a documentary kind a, of thing? It's a drama. Draw, you did say, right. sorry. It's a drama started off the present day and then moved on to the future. I see. I see. Um, sorry. So, uh, <laughs> so I said that um, it was a it was a it's a mere observation mm. that, that that it didn't represent diversity in society. Okay. And that because of that, there was not the suspension of disbelief. And it was disturbing. Given that there was a nuclear bomb <clears throat> attack portrayed. Now, the disturbing got conflated with Everything diversity. Else. And um, in the uh, the class, there were personal, personal comments made towards me. Um, name calling that kind of stuff school playground wait so repeat the, the comment that you said the that this didn't accu- accu- accurately represent the diversity yeah, so, so it was a mere fact I mean I mean the a gay couple a gay male couple a mixed race couple and a able bodied person with, with a person in a wheelchair mm-hmm. not representative of couples in society right the, ticking the diversity boxes so mm-hmm. if you want to use you? an old fashioned word positive discrimination if you want to use a more recent word positive affirmation I suppose you could call did it did the teacher ask you to explain your comment um, it was pretty much shut down by other class members and then moved on but I spoke to her afterwards mm-hmm. and she did agree uh, that there had been personal comments that shut the conversation down. And she did agree that it had been disturbing. So then she put out generic email um, giving a dis- uh, BBC description on diversity, which was fine, it was great. And then she said uh, that she was worried about uh, personal insults and misinterpretations, alluding to what I'd said. Mm-hmm. But then comments continued. <laughs> Including one from my friend who had said that... Is this friend in quotes or...? Friend in quotes. Okay. Who I had a previous um, lovely encounter with. Um, Who said, I didn't come to university to hear offensive humour, bigotry and hate speech that makes me want to throw up and not continue in my university education. You said that to your face. This was in... Um, it's Aula, so it's, it was a kind of a text thing that like you know, chat features use, use, has in the university. So okay. a lot of it, and directly uh, to you, yeah, yeah, a lot of the um, information about the course or discussions about various things goes on in this particular. Okay. Um, so um, I was invited by. Well, I, I, I then wrote an email to um, the programme leader and the course tutor expressing my concern and saying, look, basically because of this hate speech, I'm concerned about accusations of a hate crime nature and we're getting into legal territory. So I don't want to be coming into a meeting and again 
I didn't say this to them, but I didn't want to be coming into a meeting again have my feet held to the coals about, now this is getting serious, really serious. We're looking at potentially legal stuff. Right. Um, and I said, look, I'm concerned about bullying, harassment. And this this got, then got escalated to the head of division. So I said, I put that as a precaution. And I thought, right, mm. let's leave that. Let's see if it just dies down. I got invited in by the the head of division to discuss what he called issues and concerns that staff and students had raised. By this time, my health is starting to be affected. Um, and I copied a letter from a health professional saying, recommended, recommending that um, my concerns be addressed for the sake of my health. And if you don't mind me asking, what uh, you say your health was affected? Yeah. What kind of things were you experiencing? Well, I was I was diagnosed with prolonged duress stress disorder, which is similar to PTSD, but PTSD is with one event. Prolonged duress stress disorder is basically that your body has been in this fight or flight state, heightened flight or flight state, mm. for long enough for it to be of concern to a decline in your mental health state. I guess that would lead to like a kind of exhaustion, I guess. Like yeah, a, like a, burnout, if yeah, you like. Yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. So I was burning out. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so one thing led to another, and there was a student there who was supportive of me. I said, look, can we speak with this student there? Um, he said that wouldn't be appropriate, and I was going, um, and then, um, that's interesting. So, Sorry, can we, wait, wait. Can we go back to, to just that? You said there was a student who supported you. Yeah. And you said, can we talk to that student? Talk. Can I bring... He, he, I'd been invited in to discuss things. He said yeah, I could be accompanied. And I asked for the student to be accompanied with me. And he said it wouldn't be appropriate for him to be there. Okay. Did he give a reason? No. Right. But I'm assuming they took the uh, opinions of the other people in the class who yep. were opposed to the things that you said yep. and didn't tend to take any opinions of anyone that may have agreed with you. Yeah. Okay, well, there's a double standard. Yeah. So, um, well, um, so, so what he then said was that you've expressed a desire to step back from your studies previously. That's not true. What I'd step back from was a being class rep at his recommendation because I'd been under stress and to alleviate myself from stress. So it wasn't to step back from studies. Um, and he said that this letter from the medical professional was affirming that. And he said, um, therefore, to... Uh, it was words something along this lines, um, to alleviate any concern over stress that you might have as a, from a slow withdrawal, I would be happy to oversee your withdrawal from the course. I see. Mm. He took that and ran with it. Yeah. So my response to that was to say, well, I can't remember exactly how I put it, but this is a management issue. I can't be involved. Um, and I'd like an apology, please and insurance to treatment we respect in future. Um, didn't hear anything for a number of weeks. Then I got a, a letter 
a more kind of formal letter from the vice principal um, implying that I'd been, in his belief, disrespectful to members of staff, not meeting the standards met by the university, and if given enough reason, uh, could be issued with a well-being suspension or uh, disciplinary. And eventually it ended up being a well-being suspension. Mm -hmm. But he, <clears throat> the reason he gave for the well-being suspension was for my well-being, mm -hmm. implying that because, in his view, I was unwell, I was doing things which was bad for my well-being mm -hmm. and bad for the well-being of the community. But he said it could be detrimental to the well-being of the community. In the um, policy, the university policy, it says it is being. So I even challenged him on that. I said, look, you're not meeting the requirements of a well-being suspension. Right. <laughs> mm. So about this time, it's just a joke. Well, it's not a joke. It's not funny, but it is a joke. Right, right. Um, so what, what, was what was taken as um, disrespect on your part? Uh, was it the email to request for respect? Well, this is why I kept asking him, can you please tell me what specifically it is mm -hmm. that has been disrespectful? He didn't pinpoint anything. Um, but what he did say was the intensity and the volume of your emails. Okay. Uh, but by this time... I know that one. <laughs> you know that one? Yes, I do, yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe it's a standard response then. I, I think it's a, a like a... Because at the University of Edinburgh, um, they have a expected behaviour policy. Yeah. Um, when regarding complaints, mm -hmm. one of the points is um, if you keep emailing someone about a particular issue yeah. after it's been dealt with, that's considered as uh, unacceptable behaviour. Um mm -hmm. Even if you don't feel that, say, because I've had this over over the last six months, I won't go into it too much, but um, made a couple of complaints, saw it through to the end, don't felt hadn't felt that the process had been done properly or fulfilled, yeah. or they'd gone around things. And um, when I emailed a couple of people to sort of chase it up and to continue the conversation, I was told that I was in violation of the expected behaviour policy. So I think it's a we don't have to talk about this anymore thing mm, that they have decided. Um, yeah, it's like a, a sort of like a bureaucratic mechanism that can be deployed as and when convenient, so that we don't have to. They don't have to keep talking about a particular issue because they are the central party member in the dystopian Orwellian <laughs> Ministry of Love, let me, right? Right, right. Let me ask um, a different question because this is the thing that stands out to me. Go for it. Is, is obvious. Do you think they weren't taking you seriously? Oh, totally. No, yeah. but because because of your age? Because to me, that's the first thing that jumps out is, you know, they say, oh, you know, he's just a different generation. He's just, you know, like, it's a very kind of, oh, he's different generation. He doesn't understand. He's not, you know, getting where we're coming from. You know, therefore, what he's saying is just not with it. And to me, that's that's the obvious thing. Well, I, I think that came across, so I'll, I'll let you answer, but I think that came across in the sort of material you sent me where they said that um, uh, we have something like, 
we hope you now have a greater understanding of the oh, yeah. culture and uh, yeah. uh, uh, was it principles or, or something? Yeah, yeah. So that wasn't patronising at all. No, no. <laughs> yeah. We hope, we hope now you understand that. Now you have a better idea of the standards expected. I hope that this will not be an issue moving that's, forward. That's the one. That's the one. Words to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was from the vice principal. Um, <coughs> okay, so <clears throat> what I know is that other members of staff are afraid to speak about diversity um, out of concern for being disenfranchised or losing their job. Mm. That's why I know. I suspect that the vice principal was like that because there might be pressure from this movement, if I want to use that word, to be like that. And I think it'd be easier for him to have a tick in the box and attribute the issue down to me being mad or bad, mad, bad or sad, right? Than to get to the root of the issue and potentially him lose his position. I think that's what's going on. Um, Obviously, someone who's older, a vice principal, is of my generation. Mm. So I think that... In terms of the question you're asking, it might be coming from a younger generation, but perpetuated by the older generation as well. But do you think it's, when it's perpetuated by the older generation, do you think it's partly fear that the younger generation is going to come, like, going to come in and say, oh, you know, you're, you're just a part of this crazy generation, you know, um, because, you know, there's, there's there might be a fear among older generation that they're being perceived in a certain way by this younger generation. So they kind of, they're afraid to kind of go against it. So to the, you know, to kind of stick to the, oh, I can't be perceived in this way. And it's especially cautious because I'm a part of this older generation where they could just perceive me as crazy or not getting with it. So I'm going to go in the opposite direction to make sure that I'm not being perceived in that. I would say almost certainly. Mm. Uh, Certainly based on fear. Well, I, I, it's a fear or some kind of an incentive, right? Some kind of uh, uh, an incentive to... Because students are given so much of a voice, mm. and uh, I'm not saying they shouldn't have a voice, but they're uh, a heightened voice and presence in these conversations. It's worse than that. It's uh, some students are given the voice, some students aren't. So the iron, irony about diversity there is that there's not a diversity of thought. No, no. And as someone who is dyslexic and neuro- neurodiverse, I'm not unaccustomed to this kind of thing. I grew up with this um, at school, being told I was lacking in effort, complacent and careless, and I needed to work harder if I was going to achieve my potential. At that time, um, the the person, the the... It was the deputy, deputy head that keeps saying, kept saying this in every report. Uh, dyslexia wasn't thought of, so it's easier to forgive. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that either. Um, but it's left me with uh, a, a lack of fear to speak truth to authority. Mm. And also uh, the ability to um, formulate creative solutions mm. when in these kinds of situations. Um and I'm actually quite 
I'm, I'm thinking about it now for for what for having come through it I'm actually quite glad for the experience because I'm stronger now and it's given me more confidence mm. in facing any issue from any authority in the future because that's that's the worst thing that they can do right basically bully <laughs> you into leaving right well that, if I if I may that kind of sounds like what what's been done here right the irony is I was accused of essentially bullying but I was being bullied mm. institutionally if I can come through that and then you can see I'm smiling now as I'm speaking and still be smiling and feeling good about myself and confident what what can happen to me from now on you know um, so my little parting gift was the person who supported me, mm-hmm. he's found himself under a disciplinary, first of all, and now a suspension, a temporary suspension, until the 17th of this month. It should be interesting to see what happens. For what? And that's lifted. Uh, for saying similar sort of things as I've, I've been saying. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, and one or two other things. Um, and at his disciplinary hearing, the lecturer who initially was supportive to me... Mm-hmm presented my what I'd said without mentioning my name as if it's, as this, as if it was discriminatory and a, fa- a human rights offense according to university policy so she's done a little turnaround there mm. from being supportive to me now I knew people that would have heard that would have known who would have said it so she might as well have used my name right you know um so I, I've decided to withdraw from the university. It's just, it's not healthy. It wasn't good. I didn't see any good coming out of uh, going down this path of this well-being suspension because I would have had to meet with a panel mm. and give an explanation as to what was happening. That, that's what I was told. Well, that's very much feet when, fire, isn't it? When you, yeah. You say, when you're well enough, when you advise us that you are well enough, just, I've always been well enough mm. if the process was fair. Right, right, right. Um, uh, so I'd withdrawn um, and I'd been awarded the diploma. So, okay, done and dusted. Okay, that's good. It's not affected my education or reward that I got. But it's still niggling me. And I wrote an email to um, the lecturer. said, look, here's your statement that you made. Um, you said these were the, the exact words that I used. Do you have a record of this to prove it? Mm. And also, it's not consistent with the support you gave me. So mm. I would suggest well, you consider what, what your options then? are. I'm going to consider what mine are. Mm. I didn't hear back from her, but I heard back from the vice principal. Mm. He said, you were told only to contact through my office this has been resolved. You are not to contact the university anymore. And if you do, you won't get an answer. The only way you're to have any contact is through a solicitor to this email address, which was the university solicitor. So I thought, (laughs) by this time, I'm just not taking them seriously. And I just go, okay, you want to be like that? I just went, okay, 
Well, there goes the, the well gloves are off. The gloves are off. Yeah, I'm not under his authority anymore. No, no. Why? And also, I think it, I think it shows that the the sentiment he was trying to express of care for your well-being was not sincere. Oh, yeah, right, for sure, yeah. So, um, so I said, I reject your assertion that this has been resolved. Um, by the way, there are members of staff that are afraid to talk about diversity in mm. case they get disenfranchised or lose their job. It could be possible that the lecturer we were referring to was coerced into giving that testimony in order to keep her position. Mm. Um, and he said, you know, to not to write to anybody. I said, I'm no longer under your authority. I can write to whomever mm. and whenever I want. And by the way, I find the way that you are coming across to be patronising and bullying, and I always have done, but I've been too afraid to say to him until now. Yeah, good. And that, for me, was so satisfying and cathartic to write that ma mail. And because of that, I can mm. walk away and move on now. Uh, um, oh, go ahead. But... I would do the whole thing a lot differently now. I've learned so much through this experience. Mm. And I think the, the challenge, I think, moving forward for me, and I suppose for anyone, is, first of all, to be healthy, to be able to be healthy in these environments when everything's coming at you. Mm. Um, and also to turn this around and make it thrive, you know, so that... Uh, if you are being mistreated in any way, which I believe I was, it's the people who are doing the mistreatment that actually experience the consequences of that. Right. Mm. I wanted to... Um, <clears throat> you said that you knew that certain members of staff were afraid to talk about mm. diversity. How was it that you you knew that, or how was it that you come to... Oh, because I mentioned that I talked about uh, diversity to, to someone. He said, oh, I wouldn't talk about that. I, I, like, I like my job. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Can we, like, unpack what it means to, to talk about diversity? Because I'm still not super clear sure, sure. about what you said that, like, speaking about diversity, you, you saw a film, you said that you think diversity is a good thing. Mm. You saw a film that you, you know, you they said, oh, how does this, you know, represent the the average, you know, couple or whatever. And you said, I don't think this film... Mm accurately represents is, a, mm. is an accurate representation of mm. every couple um, and that the nuclear bomb thing was terrifying yeah I don't understand how that's a comment on diversity I really don't because to me a comment on diversity is judging whether or not you know diversity is a good thing what you said to me is how well does this film accurately represent you know X thing. I don't understand how that is. Well, re representation and diversity, I think, are two very, they're very closely linked together concepts. But but to me, the, the the conversation that could get you, that we're talking about, that could, like, you know, be potentially troublesome is whether or not diversity is a good or bad thing. I don't think that how accurately this film, you know, represents the diversity in the world, I don't understand how that could, like, because that, that's just, like, empirical. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that's not is it that's not normative. Is it good or bad? That's just does it do the job? You know, but I'm 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 struggling to understand why a comment on how well something does a certain job 
is problematic common. Exactly. And in a university, you would hope that it would be an environment where it's safe to discuss a variety of different views, challenge those views and have your views be challenged so that therefore you grow in terms of the ability to engage in discussion and debate. And I'm, I'm all for diversity in principle, and I'm in, I'm in the reception of that from having been in a minority group with neurodiversity. Right. So why would I not be for it, right? Right. Um, and what I think we missed out on would have been an interesting discussion debate as to the costs and benefits, say, of positive affirmation or what used to be called positive discrimination on one hand and then awarding a position or having characters in a drama, say, based on merit or what is a true reflection of society. But it, the, 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 a lot of what went on in, the, in the, um, the module was about drama needing to represent society. So I think there could be a very interesting argument to, to make, to put forward the case for positive affirmation to overcome historical underrepresentation. Yeah, that could be an interesting argument. But if the discussion debate is shut down by someone calling you a tool or anyone that thinks that's an idiot or whatever, that's completely just mm. you. That, that conversation can't be had then. Yeah. Okay. So, so there was a, an opportunity to talk about uh, how representation could be interpreted by a number of people. Yeah. Uh, the value that could be seen in it, the value yeah. that could not be seen in it. Um, yeah. And that you, and you felt that that was immediately, as soon as you went against the grain of what is the, the um, assumed to be value of representation, mm-hmm. that that was shut down immediately and that conversation could yeah. be had. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's. I mean, I go to the point. That even if, even if I'd said something completely abhorrent, I think what I said was an appropriate engagement. But even if it wasn't, I would go down the path of um, dealing with inappropriate speech. Is not shutting down by shutting down that speech. It's by having more speech, and. I would use the example of uh, Nick Griffin from the BNP, the British National Party, that appeared on Question Time. Now, that appeared a few years ago, and at the time it was seen to be controversial to allow someone who was so overtly for repatriating people to the West Indies who are British citizens to allow him on the show. But what that did was... There was a panel able to engage with the, his right, ideas right. and a, an audience as well. And very shortly after, that brought down the end of the BNP, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. That's a very good example. Very good example. Because it's, 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 even if someone is saying something abhorrent, mm-hmm. reprehensible, you yep. let them say it because yep. then you know where they are and you know yep. what they think. And then yeah. you can either choose to disassociate yourself from it, yeah. or you can come back at it with with arguments. Yeah. Um, and I would you'd expect a 
um, a university lecturer or a teacher to be looking to encourage such a dynamic mm-hmm. rather than allow for students to override the conversation, mm-hmm. to shut it down, mm-hmm. and then have the teacher be on the back foot in such a way that she later changes her initial position after you've gone to her and said, I don't think that was great. I actually feel a little shut down here. That doesn't seem to be what university should be about, even if there's some contentious disagreement going on here. Yeah. There's also an interesting thing because, you know, what, what, well, okay, so what do we, when we talk about diversity, right, there's, there's different kinds of, you know, diversity, I'll say, right? You know, there's diversity of races, there's diversity of gender, there's diversities of, um, you know, and then, and then I would argue that, you know, age, right, and uh-huh. is another factor in diversity. And I actually think that one of the difficult things that, that I think happens a lot is, you know, these, there's this kind of disconnect between, you know, generations, particularly younger and you know, and, and older. So like, you know, the, the younger generation is very quick to dismiss, you know, the the older generation for the way they think, you know, mm-hmm. they, they may have different ways of expressing themselves because they're conditioned in different ways. And I feel like, yeah, there's often a, a large difficulty, you know, that happens, particularly I noticed this, you know, in, in my own family, right? When you have like, you know, um, you know, my, like, like the younger people to like, you know, the grandparents, right? And, you know, if the grandparents say something the, the younger generation disagrees with, or they express it in a way where they don't see fits in with the way they want, they immediately yeah. dismiss it and say, oh, just a crazy person. You know, they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think mm-hmm. there is like, there is, you know, a dialogue that needs to happen where you can say, oh, no, maybe I disagree with you with what you said. Or maybe I wouldn't say this in the way that you said this, but fundamentally, you know, I accept that you had a number of different experiences that I, that I, you know, had that has led you to kind of express your opinion in this way. This is the way you express your opinion. And, you know, while I may disagree with the content of what you're saying, or maybe even I just mm-hmm. disagree with the way that you're saying this, you know, I can still engage and say, oh, you know, I take your point, I take mm-hmm. what you're trying to say, you know, and now, you know, let's engage yeah. with it. But there's there's a very common thing for people to just say, oh, you don't, you know, you're not fitting this in with the way I want you to say it or the way I would say it. So it's not even that, it's worse than that. It's, it's, uh, you're wrong and you're a bigot. Mm. Yeah. And it's not even said in the kind of tone that you're saying it. It's, you're wrong and you're a bigot. Mm. Immediate that's, moral judgment. That's the extreme, yeah. And um, what's kind of sad about that, I, I feel sad for your generation, is, okay, so my generation isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. We've right. all got flaws, right? I do. Um, <laughs> but each generation has its unique set of challenges. Right. When I, when I grew up, the prediction was going to be that we're on the brink of an ice age. Sure. So we were worried about being cold. We're worried about being too warm now, right? Mm -hmm. And that's happened within one or two generations. This wasn't even considered. Global warming wasn't even considered that it was going to be a thing when I was younger. 
And we were worried about uh, nuclear ho- holocaust. It was a cold war, mm, right? right? And, any, and when any moment someone could push the button and nuclear energy, the waste from nuclear energy, well, what's happening now? Nuclear energy is lovely, it's clean. There's still a lot of nasty nuclear stuff that comes out of it. Um, and we haven't got rid of nuclear weapons. So that threat's still there, but that seems to go under it. Um, and we're worried about, well, yeah, global warming and other things. But the bigger thing, the big thing that concerns me about your generation is that there's people that's lived longer and have got life experience and wisdom that comes with it. And to be as dismissive as that can be to to wisdom that comes from life experience makes it worse for a younger generation because then wisdom isn't getting passed on. Right. That's not to say that every older person is wise, but every older person has had experience in life that gives them the potential to be wise. And there was a lot more deference to older generations when I was younger. I think the dynamic was the same. I mean, what person... I would challenge anyone, any male, don't know about females, but any male to say that they hadn't at some point thought that their dad's an idiot, right? <laughs> or that you know better than your dad, and right. do they know? Right. He's just not cool. He's... So same thing for every generation. Right. Um, but then my parents' generation, they were going through a war. Yeah. Right? So their position was if you had food on the table, roof over your head, and your family was happy, you counted yourself lucky. Right. Right. And if there was alcoholism and abuse going on in the house, you didn't talk about it. You kept up appearances. You kept your stiff upper lip because they'd grown up in a war. And if you complained about anything like feeling offended, it's like, don't you know there's a war on? But, you know, there's more important things to think about. So we were kind of brought up with that. So if someone says we're offended, I'm going, yeah, what's your point? Mm -hmm. So if I want to, if I want to, the challenge I've faced here, big challenge for me has been, if I want this kind of dynamic that we have with with, uh, uh, the BNP, I have to be willing, I have to defend somebody else saying or doing something which I take to be offensive. I have to assert their freedom to do something which I might call being <coughs> feels mm-hmm. to be wrong. That's what I've learned from this. So if someone says, oh, that's offensive and you're being a bigot and you are wrong. Even if they're completely wrong, I have to defend their freedom to say that to me. Sure. Well, that's the, the Voltaire quote, right? Something about, uh, yeah. I may not like what you say, but uh, you know, I'm going to def- de- defend to the death for you to say it or something like that. Or yeah. For the right for you to so, say it. So this is what I've learned that I need to do to take to learn from this rather than assume here's a discussion and debate we can have where someone's saying their opinion, I'm saying my opinion, we can work this through. Because that's, I think, I don't think, I don't think we're in an environment where we can assume 
that's going to have a good outcome anymore, sadly. Mm. So what's what's the lesson for you? Own my own feelings. I've learned that I can be likable and empathetic with people to the point of enabling people to mistreat me. So I've learned to recognize better when that's happening and when there's potential traps coming up, which I wouldn't have been aware of before. Mm. Um, and before I would have said, thought to myself, you know, okay, I'm not sure about this. I'll give the person the benefit of the doubt. Now I'm going, no, I need to prepare myself for someone to come and attack me in the worst possible way. Plus, it might be what they're doing is worth giving them the benefit of the doubt. So I'm a lot more guarded. I'm a lot more prepared to be assertive. Mm. Um, and there are certain situations I might walk away from and avoid, and people I would avoid for my own well-being that I wouldn't have previously. And I would choose to have people around me. If I was to engage in something that I was aware that other people might not like, I would choose to have a support network mm -hmm. so that I'm not on my own. You mentioned earlier, right at the beginning of the conversation, <clears throat> when you were motorbiking, that you had this uh, voice in your head that yeah. said, don't, don't get on the motorcycle, yeah. don't go motorcycling. Yeah. Have you had any other experiences since uh, during either of these periods or following where a similar voice has come into your head or? I think there's been quite a plethora, plethora of that happening recently. Mm. Um, but because there's been so much of that happening recently, that feels like it's resonating with the universe. I can't actually pick out any one or two things. Um, but was the voice telling you not to come on the podcast? <laughs> 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 no, I don't have any soft verges on the front. People who talk about um, meditation and things talk about a vibration. So a vibration at a higher level, right? And sometimes I notice that in conversation. Like we had that conversation about the ideology around being now like the doctrine of original sin, mm -hmm. except that there's the doctrine of original sin was redemption. That was a powerful resonance for me because that was kind of, I think, going on inside me, but I hadn't articulated it yet. And then to know that you are thinking the same kind of thing. Mm. So that's as powerful, I would say. Okay. Um, so could I possibly say that these sorts of things are starting to manifest themselves in combination in relation with others and community, whereas before it was kind of on my own. Mm. And I think there is a powerful movement now. I think a lot of people Preaching. feel these things very powerfully, that something is seriously wrong, right. but perhaps don't know what to do about it yet. 
Well, I think I think the existence of things like the free speech union suggests points to that. I mean, the, the fact that something exists in the first place, that people that uh, the demand has been there for some kind of representation or some kind of support yeah. for people who have been speaking their mind. Yeah, maybe stupidly sometimes, maybe saying some off things, um, but it is their right to do so, um, yeah. and that they've been uh, increasingly hounded after both in sort of corporate environments as well as university environments that yeah. such a, an organization has come into existence, I think does suggest that, like you said, that there is this growing sense of, oh, well, hang on a second, something's, something's not quite right here. And I think also like, just let's, let's say, for example, hypothetically, right? If something like what you said was they immensely disagree with and they find, you know, horrifically wrong and abhorrent, right? Wouldn't you then want to kind of help? Like, if the person is willing to better understand your position and mm. where you're coming from, yeah. wouldn't you want to, like, engage in dialogue? Absolutely. So they can help, you know, get to where you're coming from. So this you is... Know, help guide them. But if you just kind yeah. of shut them down, then, to me, you're just pushing them farther away from you. You know, yeah. if you want people to come along and to, you know, move, you know, to gradually move in a society, the world to a certain place, then you would want to engage with people mm. that may see things differently than you yeah. and, and to help them understand your position, but to kind of immediately push them away, mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, kind of creates this like bipolar, you know, scenario where they're yeah. farther away from you. And it's kind of creating this like, you know... Mm ideological war that doesn't that mm -hmm. shouldn't happen it doesn't need to happen yeah i think that first part as well is yes you may want them to come in your direction and so you'd engage with them in conversation rather than pushing them away but engaging in that conversation also allows you to figure out where you perhaps might be mistaken because mm -hmm. you know I, I think the pushing away comes from the assumption that there is no mistake I'm not mistaken in my position, so therefore yeah. I'm justified in saying you're wrong, you're a bigot, yeah. you're immoral, therefore off you go. Whereas if you have that humility to go, oh, look, I feel very strongly about this, like really strongly, but I'm a human being, and human beings are sometimes wrong. Mm. Sometimes we've misunderstood things. So let's have the conversation, let's figure it out. I, you know, and then we'll, we'll, you know, and then there's the agree to disagree thing that we just don't mm -hmm. seem to be doing anymore either. You don't. Because I think a lot yeah. of people, I think a lot of people confuse having a contentious conversation with someone mm. with either I'm going to have to surrender my position or they're going to have to surrender theirs. Right? We don't consider the fact that you can take Combative. a few, right? That you well, that, yeah. I don't think we consider that you can take a few steps towards someone's position mm -hmm. without going the whole way. Right? That you can have a back and forward. You cannot be, you know, say we disagreed, right? I could put forward my argument to you. You could say, well, hang on, Matt, actually, here's where I think you misunderstood some things. You could come back at me. And we can yeah. do this three or four, five times over. And yeah. at the end of the conversation, go, okay, look, neither of us has convinced the other. So why don't we agree to disagree? Yeah. Maybe some things will change. We'll have some, we'll stew in the the conversation we've just had. Yeah. Maybe we'll have some experiences that change our mind and then we, we can reconvene and have the conversation yeah. again. And that just, that just doesn't seem to be present or even a part of these these kinds of conversations. It's, it's yeah. like, it's it's do or die, right? It's yes or no. It's like, yeah. like, I have to go your way entirely or you have to come my way entirely. Yeah, so so what we're looking at is uh, it's more of a primal 
kind of tribal way of being. So the other tribe is a threat. So uh, we have a strong cohesion within the tribe and we're hostile to the other tribe, right? Or it could happen with individuals and relationships or whatever. But, you know, this, this is where the beauty of diversity is. The beauty of diversity is that I might be totally wrong about what I think about something. And the fact that something has touched me and I feel really offended by it mm. might be touched on something that, hey, if I ever think about this and I reflect on it, gosh, that might be better for me and better for everyone else as well. And be thankful for the fact that I have felt offended mm. because the offence then to be relieved of the pain associated with the offence is my motivation for improving so that things are better for me and everyone else. Mm. Mm. And the sort of thing that you're talking about doesn't, doesn't enable that kind of growth. It's like uh, it's all the it's all the hallmarks of a religious cult. You have to adhere to the values within that cult, and it's usually with a charismatic leader of some kind. Right. I haven't got to that part yet, thankfully. So, how are we doing for time, Ethan? Uh, it's four twenty. Good number. Um, shall we <laughs> wrap up? Yeah, sure. Um, were there any final things you wanted to say? I know you said you do a radio st- a radio show. Did you want to tell anyone about that or anything you wanted to? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, um, my radio persona is Jules London. I've got a show on Saturday, Sunday mornings between 7 and 10 on Pulse 98.4. If you're in the Paisley region, it's on 98.4 FM. Everywhere else, pulseonair.co.uk. All right. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Adam. This has been yeah. a really, really good you conversation. You are our first guest. Thanks this for having me. You know, no, no, a major absolutely. milestone for the podcast, first yes. guest. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, hopefully, and, uh, those who are listening realize it's not such a scary endeavor and uh, will we'll, uh, come on and speak to us about something they're passionate about, too. Absolutely. Um, take care of yourselves, everyone, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah.